Well, God just decides to sell a book for you. I remember the day that I went into my local Christian bookstore and there was my book. You are not God! You are just a man! The Total Money Makeover book, which is sold almost the 10 million copies. Number one best-selling book, book. Book, book, this, No, because you've got to read the book. you got to read the book. <laughs> this is Bad Christian Books. Welcome to Bad Christian Books, a podcast about the worst bestsellers Christianity has to offer. But today we're not talking about a book. We're talking about the story of our lives. Why don't you go first, Samuel? Since you um, have told me you've written out, I think last time, or when we talked about before, you said you wrote out your testimony and it felt very like momentous. So. That's true. I, yeah, I, I kind of took another pass at it since then. This is our second recording. Um, yeah, I've written out my testimony. Let's let's uh, imagine that the piano is playing, the lights are dimming. I I have to say I do feel weird about the word testimony, and I probably shouldn't, but like it just has weird, I don't know, has a weird vibe to me. But I I also was like, what do I call this? That's how I feel about like a lot of church words. Like I cannot imagine. Well, this will give people some insight into me. It's so baked yeah. into my experience that I I intellectually am aware that it's got to sound so bizarre if you have no context for like what a testimony is. But I can only imagine that in the way that I can look at any given person and imagine, oh, you know, you, you drive by a house and you think, what's it like to live there? That's what it's like for me with the word testimony. It's a weird polysyllabic word that's both ostentatious and i don't know now i'm just throwing around big words well no it's so interesting you say that because i just realized that too i was like huh yeah like if the only other context you hear the word testimony is like in a court case true and that's usually like a testimony like against something i don't know what that means if there's any meaning in that observation but yeah it is interesting how like I mean, we both grew up in the church. We can say that up front. So, like, there may be times that we say words that we may not realize people have no idea what we're saying or what that means. If that's the case, you can yell at us on Twitter and we'll try to explain or look it up or something. Well, and this leads us into another good disclaimer because I remember you wanting to mention this. Our opinions we're fully aware that we are learning and this is a learning process i mean that sounds stupid to say but it's like we're we've kind of gone through this interesting um evolution with the internet right where we understand that it's written in ink but opinions aren't written in ink mm. so we are our views on these things are going to be evolving we're making these these episodes we're doing research on these things and we're doing the best research we can but that doesn't mean that doesn't take the place of a discussion yeah. So think of every episode as the beginning of a discussion. If you think, if you listen to it and you're like, okay, I think they only got half the story or they got most of the story, but I think they're missing out on some nuance or they got none of the story. I mean, if they got none of the story, probably, probably that's, that's really bad, but <laughs> talk, talk to us. We have our lines of communication open. Um, they're all going to be in the show notes. We've got email, we've got social media, bad Christian books. Please hit us up. I think there aren't a lot of spaces within the church or church adjacent communities where people can sit and just kind of in a real way, in a critical way, engage with like what 
the church in the big sense is saying, what individual churches are saying or individual people, and talk about the harms, but also talk about, like, what are the things that are life-giving or have come out of that? And I think there is this fear, especially in the American church, of engaging in that kind of discussion. I I feel like people are afraid, they, like, fear that, like, God can't handle criticism and that I, that's not the God I believe in. Precisely. And I, I kind of want to zero in on that. I don't think there are a lot of outlets of religious criticism. I think a lot of people hear criticism and they think that it is an inherently negative thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, if you criticize, if you're a movie critic, then you just hate movies. People who are movie critics actually love movies. I love Christians, even if I don't always love what Christianity is doing. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is it's like, let's let's look at it in terms of family for a moment. You love your family. They're, you have so much history with your family. So when your family is starting to become misguided, do you leave them to their fate? Or do you say, because I care about you, I want to have a discussion with you about my feelings, which I understand are only part of a bigger picture, and where we can go from there. Yeah, and I mean, we're, I mean, we're going to talk about this. I guess we've said it. This is the episode we're going to talk about us, tell you a little bit about who we are. But Samuel and I also, like, don't align completely on... We align on a lot of things, but kind of on the central... Like, some central things we don't align on. We have different perspectives, and the goal of that is not to, like, come to a conclusion and say this is Christianity. Um, I guess my goal is that we could engage in some of this rhetoric that I think really is toxic in the church and has caused a ton of harm to a lot of people for like the last probably five years. I've been like informally surveying friends of mine who have left the church or who are like kind of in the church or people who are in the church. And like, honestly, the number one thing I hear is like, They're like, I don't feel like there's a place for me to still believe in God and still believe in Christianity, but hold things that I value and like hold my beliefs um, in a lot of social ways. And so that should like, that should, that should wake us up, I guess, um, in my opinion, (laughs) because there should be a space for all of us. You look at the pandemic where there was this concern in the church of, okay, I don't want to mask up. Shouldn't I still be welcome? Okay, sure. What if I do want to mask up? What Mm -hmm. if I didn't vote for Trump? Why, what is it about your feelings on these matters, other than the fact that they are yours, that make them more valid than mine? And there's a defensiveness I see in the right where I think they always feel like they're on the defensive. So I understand that they feel the same way. And I, I am using us and them here. But like, I don't, I think the church has become hideously exclusive. And it's mm. it's not because, you know, Trump bad. I don't like Trump, but that's not the heart of the reason. The heart of the reason is the church is becoming a very small, specific thing. Um, and it's straight away from this idea of we worship 
a entity that created the entire universe, which mm-hmm. includes liberals. <laughs> well, it includes, and I mean, even... it includes plants, you know, and includes animals like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and even on the, like, even within, I think there are people within the church who probably listen to what you just said, and they're like, you know, I lean right con- politically, but I, like, am somewhere in the middle. Like, I also maybe don't like Trump, or I also, you know, like, am open to people doing whatever they, you know, like, with the masks. I'm open to whatever, or, like, people using them if they want to. Um And I think there is this exclusivity that's like a public perception that is really different than when you get to the heart of like an individual. And I mean, maybe like the word testimony for us, like there's so there's so many like words like the church that have taken on such a political, social, um, often negative negative outside um and then like on the opposite side like secular non-christian um like other these other words like within the church like they're like you can't believe any of that i don't know there's just like it doesn't seem like there's a lot of middle ground not a lot of middle ground and it's become i think we've we're missing the forest a huge issue i have with current day Christianity, although I suspect it may have been a problem for a very long time, is the church has become an institution only. It is not the idea that you can't, it's not this idea that all these people come together and that's the church. It has become about the buildings. It's become about the administration. And when that happens, it becomes political. And I do think that the political entity of the church, and this is pro- this is going to be a place where I'm guessing you and I will differ. But I, I was just say, about to say, oh, we're about to find a place where Samuel and I differ. <laughs> I think the political entity of the church is inherently evil, and I think it's been evil the entire time. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you in the sense that the church has done the political, institutional kind of like business side of the church a lot of evil has come from that a lot of harm um i think for the people within it and the people without um yeah because that's not to say that everybody who ascribes to it is evil it's to say that collectively it is a negative force yeah and i mean and i guess i would what i would disagree with is that i i take a much I think there's the church as an institution, and I think there's the church as it was created by God. And so for me, that is the people who come together, who are this like living body of God, not to get like too scriptural here, but like are this like almost like a communal organism of people who believe in God and are trying to do better for each other and um, better for the world. I just, I think it's an issue of signifier and signified. I think Christians get very defensive of their signifiers, where you hear, I think the church is evil, and you think I'm talking about believers or people who want to believe in something larger than themselves. That's not what I have the issue with. Those people, you know, it's like Mr. Rogers, look for the helpers. Most 
people who identify as Christians, at least in terms of what I am seeing, are not showing up. Hmm. Or they're too afraid to. Or they're too attached to identity politics. Which is really a criticism you can make of pretty much any American. Um, yeah. On. Well, and I think... I agree. I mean, I think and that's probably what... I mean, we've already explored with some of the episodes we've recorded. I feel often the differences are like a nuanced difference in the brain. Like practically they mean very little. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I would say like I still have this belief in the church as like an institution that's like a living body that like exists because it is like created by God. Kind of in the same way you think of, like, a system that's, like, intangible. So, for me, I do think there is something there that's, like, not just believers, but, like, this thing that when we come together and we, like, experience the presence of God, really powerful things can happen. Most of the Christians that I talk to and meet, I really think do want to have these conversations and are open to these conversations. I personally feel like because of the identity politics, because of how polarized media is within the church and outside the church, people don't know where to go. And that was really an interest that I had in starting this podcast was like creating a space where people could talk about this and disagree or agree and work through those messy things together. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that I, so many places that my mind goes to as well, and I don't know if it's good for the About Us podcast. We can we can do a separate one that's Mary and Samuel debate the um, legitimacy of the church as a as a. That would be yeah, that'll be a great uh, yeah future I, episode. <laughs> I, and I, I might cut this part out, but I do want to say it just to see how yeah. it flies. I think I take issue with the church having legitimacy because it's created by God, because you can say that of literally all things. And I think this is an interesting concept. This is an error that Christians make a lot where it's like, my God can do all things, but he only created the things that I like. All things that you experience, if you believe in the supremacy of this being, exist because of God. Certainly sin plays a role in that, but the church was created after sin. So I think in that same way, any excuses we're making for the church as a God-created institution you could make for all of humanity. And the church does not make those excuses. It regularly is too hard on people. And I think inspires a culture in which people don't forgive each other. Um, And I understand that there's a hypocrisy in me taking such a hard line on the church when, like Mary is saying, there are many people in the church who are eager to turn over a new leaf. I mean, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Jonah, because I really relate to Jonah, where you kind of want to see God judge the church because they, in my mind, have become so terrible. But I don't think that is God's view of things. I think... There is far more mercy in the infinite than we can even imagine. So, um, yeah, I just I think it's interesting because to me, I hear, oh, the church is created by God, so it's good. And I, I hear and it reminds me of people who say the Bible is inerrant. Therefore, all homosexuals deserve to die. You know, it's there is a there's a lot of logical fallacies that come when God 
is putting a capture the flag on your favorite concept. Hmm. Which is like a really harsh way to say that because I, I don't think that's exactly what you even meant. But <laughs> No, but I mean, I think it's good to talk about like how people may hear that. I yeah. mean, I think that, and yeah, I, I do have thoughts, but I, um, I agree. I feel like there's something here we need to do another episode maybe in the future, um, because I do have like a ton of thoughts, but I do think it is good to just like acknowledge that, which is where this conversation started. We are learning and exploring topics that we've like had personal experiences with but like have not spent like decades exploring maybe more like a month exploring deeply and you know and like I think we want we want to hear from like everyone please be gracious to us if you think we get something wrong or if we need corrected about something and we're open to hearing it if you're respectful and not a troll um, yeah, and we would love to hear it and you know have those conversations. Yeah. With that being said, let's let's get into our testimonies, Mary. <laughs> oh my gosh, I still can't. But yes, tell me. You still got that little like cringe feeling, like oh, I, I I don't know about that. I do, but I I would love to hear your testimony, Samuel. So who am I? I'm originally from Ohio, but I've lived in Los Angeles since 2015. I know. Uh, I'm a self-published author of four novels, including Koi Pond, a horror story based on my experiences in the church. I'm a regular guest on a movie podcast. Um, it's called it's called I Know Movies and You Don't with my friend Kyle Bruhl. Uh, my day job is I'm an assistant television editor for Unscripted TV. Uh, I'm married. I'm mixed Filipino. I'm an only child, and I fear I'm a massive nerd. Ever since leaving Christianity, I don't profess any specific religion, but I do study religion, philosophy, and the occult in my free time. I'm very obsessed with all things relating to belief. Um, I just think belief is a really fascinating thing. I have a lot of friends who are more like staunch atheists, and I think belief has become a... And they come from religious backgrounds, and I think belief has become a very sore topic for them so it's so weird being the like belief guy in hollywood and then being like the like liberal post-christian everywhere else (laughs) i was gonna say devil worshiper but yeah i mean yeah you know i I would never no i would never be a simp for satan uh regardless of my, my i do have a friend my friend faith one time pointed out that she felt like the devil was one of the most sympathetic characters in fiction. And I think she's onto something there. Um, for more, read my novel, The Archangel Chad, and maybe you'll feel the same way too. Look I was going to say, have you, have you watched the show Lucifer? No, I haven't. It's actually, I mean, it's like kind of cheesy because it's like a, you know, the police drama with the sidekick and the sidekick is Satan. But I actually think you would find the belief system in it very interesting. I mean, Satan's got a lot to be bummed out about, and uh, it's very relatable to me. That that's kind of gives you an idea of the hippy-dippy stuff I'm up to. Um, you know, again, apologies. Uh, so far, a flurry of demons have not entered me, or if they have, they've been extremely tidy with the space, so I call that a win. 
I've been uh, I've been a Christian since I was four. I like that I said I've left Christianity, but then the way I wrote this, it's as though I still am, which I think shows the sort of weird will they won't they I have with my own faith. <clears throat> I've been a Christian since I was four. Uh, my grandpa was a pastor in the Nazarene Church, and my parents were on the church board of my church growing up. Um, kind of with that, I had an overabundance of insight into the workings of the church from an early age. Um, even though I wasn't a pastor's kid, I was kind of the golden boy of my church and a uh, shining example, supposedly, for the other kids my age around me. Mm. Yeah, I was the good kid. I was the godly kid. Um, and uh, that really messed me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. I, we're going to, when I, that's like a huge part of what I was thinking about as well um jumping ahead slightly like I was a pastor's kid and then a missionary kid but honestly like being a pastor's kid I'm really glad I didn't do that past 12 because like I similarly was like the good kid who like could not fail and yeah it messes with you a lot as a child it gives you imposter syndrome to last a lifetime I uh I played I played violin in church worship band and like was really oh propped gosh. up. Yeah, I was really propped up for it. It was this weird thing where you'd play violin and like for me I would just look at the key signature of whatever piece cuz they don't have violin stuff written out for worship music. And I would just kind of like play all the notes in the key signature for it and call it a day. And then the church would end and people would just come up to me and they'd be like, "Loved your violin playing." I just I was really blessed by your violin playing and I'm like which is which is great I it's great it's great it's really great people were so sweet I felt very weird about it I mean you're talking about the way testimony made you feel the people praising me for my violin playing in worship was not I did not enjoy that that was kind of like well don't worship me <laughs> but uh, not that they were but it felt like that at an age when i needed friends and a community i was expected to set the other teens straight um we had this i was on the youth group it was called like the youth council i think i was part of the board there was like a board for the youth group and i was 12 and i was on it and i would be talking with people in their 20s and their 40s about how to troubleshoot a troubled youth group like i don't know if the kids in the youth group actually were delinquent because when i was 12 everybody was delinquent because i was the golden boy but that also took its toll on me too uh they just they were looking to me to solve problems i was not a parent nary a teen yet so that was always interesting they're like oh samuel's gonna go into the youth group and he's gonna really set them straight around this time i went to a private christian high school it was like non-denominational, but it was basically like Baptist reformed. Um, and I really struggled to fit in. Uh, the atmosphere was very oppressive. Like, I don't inherently have a problem with wearing uniforms, but I, I may only feel that way because of Stockholm Syndrome. I just, it was a uniform atmosphere and it was very much, it was less about, they, they sold it as purity where it's like oh everybody's dressed modestly or whatever but it was really more about wealth it's like we, this school has a image to uphold 
we all buy the same uniform, therefore we all look equally wealthy. Um, it was also mm. primarily fed by mega churches in the area. And I came from a very, I, I didn't mention this in my notes, but my, I think I've mentioned this before. Like I had a church of like, when I attended there, it was like 50 people. It was very small. Mm. I just started to realize that it wasn't much about God at all, but about appearances. Finally, I went to a Christian college and that's where Mary and I met. And uh, that's also where I tried to recalibrate my faith. Um, I worked admissions at that college. Um, and oh my I had... word. You were the worst admissions counselor that the school that should not be named was has ever seen. And I know because you used to come and talk to me about how you were like going to try to like mess with them the next day. I forgot about that. I, I yeah, mainly you would remember... Be like, you're like, I'm going to try out this experiment to see what they do. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't remember being that much of a mad lad. There was a there was a reason that I was so impish at admissions, um, besides the fact that I was severely depressed. Um, we were instructed to make gay students feel unwelcome. It was a part of, we had to do these mock tours to get approved to be counselors. And the person running the mock tour, they would pretend to be a student. This is like, it would be some guy in his like late 30s, early 40s. And he would pretend to be his idea of what gay was. It was that fine line of, you told him he was welcome, but his, and I use huge scare quotes here, lifestyle was not. So you're telling him he's not welcome. Um... And it just Ooh, felt really wow. gross. Um, we had to do a lot of stuff like that. We had to like astroturf reviews of this college because it was getting review bombed for not being an accepting place. I don't think I, I haven't told a lot of people that, but yeah, wow, I didn't know all of that part. It doesn't surprise me, but wow. Yeah, so the college I went to required us to go to chapel twice a week under a penalty of a fine. Like you could miss it three times and then they would start charging you I think like 40 bucks right or was it 15 oh no I was gonna say it was 50 I don't remember okay this is very much it's a banana Michael what could it cost but I, I yeah I was gonna say for people who like were very poor in college like it was an enormous amount more than what I made per hour for sure like more than double what I made per hour Okay, so it was 40 then. It was it was 40 or 50 because it was like a nice meal out for two. Uh, that's definitely when I stopped going to church was going to chapel because I had to go to church, quote unquote, twice a week. So by the time Sunday rolls around, it's like, am I going to get up early and go to church again? The one time I'm allowed to miss. Um, so I also had been to enough church by that point to grow sick of the same salvation or tithe messages being preached interspersed with anecdotes about a pastor's golfing trip or whatever outrage he'd read about on the news that day. It's, it all felt the same, and I felt that the right church would be a place where I could grow deeper. Uh, the final nail in the coffin, though, was much simpler than that. My wife and I, after moving to L.A., sought out a church to attend and even found one we liked. The sermon was good, and the service was to our liking, but it wasn't better than sleeping in. <laughs> Um, so to add to all of that, in 2018, I became aware that one of my high school teachers at this Christian high school, um, a powerful figure in the local community, both Christian and secular, was soliciting minors for sex. He taught at that school. As far as I understand, he didn't, 
he did it for nearly free too, which is a little interesting. And at the time was seen as this very charitable thing, but I think it more had to do with just he wanted to be there. Yeah, access to people, kids. Yep. And I think that really allowed me to be honest about the fact that I think a lot of Christian culture is creepy because that high school really encouraged us to take one-on-one time with our teachers. I mean, we did like a senior trip and he was our cabin leader. And like, this wasn't him, but I would spend hours, well, I would, I would go over to his house and like do movie nights, but I would spend hours talking to teachers one-on-one after school. And they just really encouraged you to have as little boundaries with these adults as possible, oftentimes Mm -hmm. in total privacy. I think it made me realize that Christian culture doesn't have a higher understanding of the world or a better way to love your neighbor. And I think regularly Christian culture gets in the way of healthy living. I do actually believe in the in God, the Father and God, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I it's I believe in the full Trinity, but I think the Father and the Holy Spirit connect with me the most. And I know that you have issues with the father, but for me, it's less the idea of God being a father and more the idea of, well, there, I believe that there's a, a higher power. Um, I believe in Jesus too, but I struggle to forgive Christianity for how tainted the image of Jesus has become for me. There's a William Blake quote, um, the image of Christ that thou dost see is my vision's deepest enemy. And that's very much how Jesus feels for me. I think it's to Jesus's credit that now the church is becoming so hateful that they are overtly rejecting him where they're saying he's too weak. And that kind of makes me like Jesus more. (laughs) But um, ultimately, all of my beliefs are personal and I have no intention of spreading the gospel to quote unquote non-believers. Ultimately, I would rather ease the pain of the people I share space with and create an environment where they feel safe and like they aren't alone. Uh, While my experience is unique, I know a lot of others have had it. Um, If the term deconstruction works for you, that's fine, but I kind of reject it because it still feels like it belongs to the church. It's a little bit like the concept of colonialism, where the church figured out a term for people who were thinking about leaving to keep them in the church while they were thinking about leaving. Mm. I understand the arguments against there's too much evil in the world claim, but I would like to remind you that I do, in fact, believe in God. And I believe the church, like King Belshazzar, has been weighed on the scales and found wanting. I look now to shine the light of my faith back into the place that almost snuffed it out. It's so it's so interesting to to hear that. And, you know, you and I have talked about different pieces of it over the years, and I lived a good chunk of it with you. Um, we were very close friends in college. It's, you know, just hearing you talk about specifically like the view of Jesus. And I think I also like connect more strongly to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I struggle to a certain degree with the idea of Jesus. I Although I think in my journey, which we'll get into, like I have been able to kind of separate that from what the American church has done to it. And I say that in like a, I I caveat that because like, I think probably living outside of the U.S. for a good portion of my formative years, like has helped me see like church can be different than what it is here in this country. Um, And like, I struggle with a lot of American Christians to, 
you know, I really do. And I, I think it's so challenging to figure out like what that balance, what that, what that space is. I don't know. Thank you for sharing that, Samuel. Thank you for providing a space for it. And thank you for listening. I, I would love to hear your story. I mean, you've, you're making mm. allusions to a childhood outside of the U.S. If I had to, you know, sum up, like, what has been my faith journey in, like, a sentence, I really feel like God has put me over and over again in situations where kind of the stuff of religion, like the the institution, the culture, the, like, legalism parts of religion has been stripped away. Over and over again, God has shown me that the gospel, the... The how do we have a relationship with God, like that piece is very simple and at the same time very powerful. So I grew up like in a ministry family. My dad was a pastor until I was 12. Um, my family were missionaries in Ecuador from 12 until I was 18. Um, but even beyond that, like everyone in my family and I have a huge family like I know all of my aunts and uncles and you know their cousins and their kids and like second cousins and all my great uncles and aunts like we all know each other and everyone's a Christian I mean pretty much everyone's like specifically assembly of God or Nazarene so like very much in this like uh charismatic holiness Wesleyan for people who know what those words mean um very much in that like bubble tell the people in the back what charismatic is I always think that one's fun so I mean and I think charismatic means different things to different people because there's also like a charismatic movement that's gone like off the rails and that's like not specifically what I'm talking about oh yeah totally but like there's a there's a there's a concept that can sum it up oh true yeah totally um charismatic in general kind of usually means that like the i don't know this is hard do you have a definition of charismatic okay let me let me put it this way are there any charismatic christians who don't believe in speaking in tongues yes nazarenes oh okay Okay, true. Okay, There's actually a lot of na- uh, charismatic Christians who don't believe in speaking in tongues. Well, then here's a good way to sum it up then. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit can move you in a way that manifests physically often during worship. And it can be something as simple as like dancing around or saying thank you Jesus during worship or a sermon. Or it can, in very extreme cases, be speaking in tongues. Wow, we're getting into it. Speaking in tongues is like a language that humans do not understand i have a lot of feelings about speaking in tongues because a lot of my family believe assembly in assembly of god like if you are a christian you speak in tongues and that's a whole nother thing that like i have feelings about but yeah like in general charismatic people believe that like the holy spirit can tell you things like through prayer worship your relationship with god um which would be like very different culturally and like how you do church than like a more liturgical side or like you know presbyterians lutherans even some baptists where it's like more subdued or you're following like a very specific um like set of words that have been pre-written and you've likely read over and over for many like for thousands of years in charismatic services someone can just say like i think we should do this 
because of God. And then like the church may do that in that service. That actually does illustrate a good point, though. And that is the church, even the American church, which is so a product of America, is not a monolith. In fact, it's very diverse in a way that almost makes it a frustrating moving target. Yeah. And it's like it's always commenting on itself. And I think that actually sometimes holds it back because there's so much infighting between denominations that I don't Mm -hmm. even think they realize that there's sometimes common issues they all have. I definitely agree. So, so like I said, like all of my family are Christians and like very much pretty conservative in a lot of ways. Um, All of those denominations believe like women can be pastors and full like humans, at least as far as their doctrine goes and practice not always, but doctrinally um and my family had a lot of matriarchs so i grew up with feeling like i was empowered (laughs) to have like faith in god but we also like didn't drink there was a lot of like emphasis on what women wore constantly um i mean my mom has told me like growing up my grandpa couldn't be on the church board because he wanted to go to movie theaters and that was like oh yeah that's a big no-no for nazarenes before the 90s Yeah, so, like, I mean, just, like, a big, I don't know. It's a complex denomination. But, so that being said, like, when I was a pastor's kid, I definitely felt what you were talking about, like, having to be the good kid, you know, and that the one aspect of, like, Nazarene Church specifically is, like, this emphasis of holiness, which is the idea that, like, once you... They called it, like, filled with the Holy Spirit. You can choose not to sin. Like, you don't ever have to sin again. As someone who is, like, a type A, Enneagram 3, like, my biggest fear in life is a fear of failure. Like, I still struggle with that. Um, And it has... As a kid, I was trying to speed run uh, getting sanctified. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, it's it's so, yeah, sanctification is the word they use for that. And, like, it's, and it means other things in other denominations. Like, I was talking, actually, with my cousin who grew up. She was one of the few. They grew up Baptist. Oh, no. Um, but we were talking about that, and she's like, that is not what sanctification means with us. And then she was talking about, like, certain issues that she has in her life based on, like, every church. I mean, like, everything made by God, made by humans is going to, like, mess you up in some way. But anyway, yeah, like, I really kind of internalized this thing early on that was, like, I have to be perfect. One of my earliest memories is I was four, and my children's church teacher told me that in front of, like, all the other kids were all, like, older. This It was a very small church, so it was, like, four through 12. I mean, it was, like, all the kids together. That, like, I needed to be perfect because I was the example for everyone else because I was the pastor's kid. No pressure. Um, Good luck with your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And my, I mean, to my parents' credit, my mom heard about it and went to, made an intention to tell me that, like, that was not true and told that teacher who was, like, a lovely lady who was a very special human, but was imperfect and she said like don't ever say that to her again i still internalized it because of my personality predispositions i think 
I, this is a this is an interesting formative thing where so much of I think both of our baggage is formed around the flippant things adults said to us when we were very young. Hmm. Where it's yeah. like they probably don't even remember saying that. And they probably were lovely people and they just didn't think before they spoke. And that's that's not a Christian problem. I think that's a generational and cultural problem. We're just like kids remember what you say to them Mm -hmm. so take on the burden of thinking about it because even if you don't they will Mm -hmm. that's just a personal that's a that's a personal (laughs) albatross on your boy's neck i do appreciate that soapbox and also as someone who's been a parent i think you will mess up your children no matter what but it's like how do you help your kids like go through that when you're imperfect right like how do you set them up to feel safe enough to be like yeah like my mom was like that's not cool that's the thing like it's almost less of a note to parents and more to non-parents which is like yeah it's like parent yeah parents being parenting is difficult i'm not even touching that i'm saying somebody else's kid maybe don't make that your business (laughs) yeah no i think you're totally right and we've talked about that with some of the other episodes um specifically like um one that we haven't recorded yet but like every young woman's battle that that was a book given to me by some like random human at my high school that I don't even know who gave it to me. My parents didn't even know I read it. And that book is horrible. It is a bad Christian book. I will take no argument on that. And I will say on parenting, like something that I cherish that like my parents and in general my family does is debate and critical thinking was taught to us as a very young age my dad has a phd in philosophy he like teaches logic and critical thinking and ethics and so from like a very young age i don't even know how young i was i can remember going to my dad and being like explain to me what the different denominations are and like why i always say that like my dad made me a journalist my mom made me a writer my dad made me a journalist um because he created kind of that love of you know digging deeply into a topic and looking at it from like a critical lens um and then my mom is um a writer and she um has almost a master's degree in literature and so from a very young age I was reading like all kinds of like classic literature that like probably I shouldn't have been able to or maybe it was fine I don't know but like if it was classical literature for some reason it was fine to read like pretty explicit stuff i don't know i always remember that you had a quote i want to say you had a quote from anias nin in your your book which like at that at the institution we were at kind of blew my mind i was like whoa this girl's punk rock really that's so funny yeah i don't remember that i've even looked at my yearbook or at the year i don't even know where the yearbook is did i get one i don't know i don't know if it was your yearbook but it might have been something so fun fun thing about me and mary we met in the honors program and it's very possible that for some mixer that they did we had to have some quote that like summed us up and i remember seeing that and being like whoa what was the quote do you remember i can't remember i just remember that it was anias nin huh yeah we're revealing we are both nerds something i've been thinking a lot about actually in the process of doing this project is like what did my parents teach me? And like, what did I get from like the larger culture? I don't know. It's hard to dissect those things. But so when I was 12, um, my family moved to Ecuador. Um, My dad taught at 
the seminary um, and did like trainings in very rural areas for pastors or people who like wanted to get ministry training. And then my mom did like communications for the Compassionate Ministries arm of the mission that we were in um, that covered Ecuador, Peru, Colombia, and Venezuela. While we were there, I mean, that entire life experience, I mean, obviously, like, radically changed me. I was there for all of middle school and high school. And I went to a Christian high school, an English-American Christian high school, that was very racially, culturally diverse. There were, I think, 24 countries represented in my um graduating class and there was like 50 of us so I grew up hearing like multiple languages being spoken in the hallways and all of those things but also like a bunch of different Christian beliefs even though the school in general kind of theologically like lined up with my the churches I had grown up in I mean I a lot of the teachers really like tried to teach the full range and be like this is like all of the things that Christians believe on this topic And it's okay if you fall in one of these areas. Um, You know, here's my personal opinion on why I think X or Y. And that was just like such an incredible experience. I look back at that time. And even though my family was attending an all Ecuadorian Spanish speaking church, I never felt really fully like I could be myself there just because it took so many years for me to get fluent in Spanish. And kind of by the time I did, I was really too busy to like get ingrained in a church but like my classmates were my church and the I guess I had a better Christian school experience than you did Samuel and that like there are certain teachers or volunteers that really were like the mentors to me and you know I really learned like it really doesn't matter what your denomination is it matters like how you're living your faith out Here's the worst thing is that was the lesson that I was really wanting to learn from my time at uh, my high school. Um, In fact, it was one that I, you know how like you sort of have an experience you want to have and you try to make that experience happen. That was the experience I was trying to make happen, which, you know, is is flawed. But I was 13 Mm. because side note, my high school wasn't just a high school. It was a junior high as well. Um. And I was coming out of homeschool as well. So uh, there there were some faux pas. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot you glossed over that piece. It seems like people at your school were kind, would you say? I guess, yes. And I would also like add the caveat, they were kind to me. Yeah. I mean, even at the time, um, I had a brother who had, I mean, I have a brother still. He's younger than me. I mean, first of all, can we give a shout out to him for the music? Oh, yeah. He's an incredible musician. He's an incredibly creative person. Um, But he had some mental health. I would just say like neurological differences than what our school was willing to allow. I'm very aware. I was even aware at that time like that. I fit very well into the system. I was who they were looking for. And so I was nurtured and given opportunities and I grew. And for me, that school was a very positive space. And at the same time, I recognized like that school was a terror for my brother in a way that 
I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but like it definitely has left, it's definitely still been challenging in, in his life. And I've, and I've talked to other people who I wasn't as close with in, in high school who like it was deeply scarring. Um, I, I had a conversation recently with someone who was quite a few years older than me. We didn't really overlap for much, but um, she's half Latina, half white, and also um, queer. And she was telling me about her experiences and just how horrible it was for her. And like, that's a thing that like, I didn't even know at the time. And, and I think also that probably gave me the insight that like, things can be good for one person and not good for another. And just because it's good for you does not mean the system is okay. And you know what's funny is I definitely saw this one. I you, you recommended when we first reconnected to listen to the Mars Hill podcast, and I witnessed firsthand them using the inverse of that argument as a weapon, which is, oh, just because it's bad for you doesn't mean it's great for a bunch of other people. And I think that's that's a thing that I've seen, especially more wealthy churches do a lot, which is just like use diversity of experience to sweep bad experiences under the rug. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you acknowledge that your good experience does not erase the bad experiences of other people. Because I remember at my college, even or my college, my I, I, I had a better time at college than high school, mainly because I knew people like you and college. Um, but in high school, I would try to share about my experience with other people. And the response I so often got was what I call the youth pastor grimace, where they look mm-hmm. like they're in pain, but they don't really know what it's like to have a bad day, <laughs> or it's, they just don't, I, this is making a generalization, but it's, there's a youth pastor personality type that I've consistently run into, which is like, God, if they hired you because you're not emotionally intelligent, excellent. And... <laughs> they they would make that but they would be people my age and they'd make that grimace and they go i'm so sorry that it was such a bad experience for you thanks bro i really feeling not othered at all here well and and i i mean that's like a key piece of i think what i brought back into the church when i came back to the u.s was this knowledge that I mean, and, and to go a little bit deeper into, like, this, my experience, like, one of the teachers that poured into me the most and was one of my favorite teachers in that high school terrorized my brother and was, in my opinion, mm. incredibly abusive to him. What do you do with that when you're 17? It's hard. And so, and it's so hard. Like, I'm like, do I like this person? Do I not? I think that's the complexity of humanity and in my opinion, why we do need God, because, like, we're a whole bunch of, we're a jumble of nonsense, all of us. There's a weirdly, there's a quote from a series of, of unfortunate events that I keep, uh, keeps flashing back to me. Um, and it's one of the villains of the story, near like, in the second to last book, he says, and when I read this, I was very much in the throes of Christianity, and I was like, oh, this is, like, a godless person trying to work themes in, but the character said, people aren't all bad or all good. They're like a chef's salad. And at the time, it really offended me. But as an mm. adult, I think about it all the time. 
I love that one because I think it's true. And number two, because you mentioned series of unfortunate events, and that's like up there with Garage Band and nostalgia for me. So my my millennial heart is happy. Yeah, it's such a good YA memory. <laughs> Definitely. No, but moving, I guess, like out of that, um, my last few years in in Ecuador and in high school were really challenging um, because of some of the stuff that my brother was going through. My family decided to move back to the U.S. about a month before I graduated high school, in part due to that. And also my um, grandmother had been diagnosed with dementia and my mom wanted to be close to her. You know, it's hard if you haven't lived that experience to, like, it's hard to overstate, like, how horrific and, tra- and like, challenging moving back to the U.S. was for me. Like, it was obviously something, like, I had to do. Um, I ended up at this college that felt and is and was, like, extremely white. A lot of people from small towns at that time in my life i felt like everything had been stripped away from me except for god like people didn't even know where ecuador was on the map i mean i can remember like someone like who couldn't understand like that i had an american passport but lived overseas like i mean i remember like within my first year or two was a part of a group trying to basically create support for either international or multicultural students and we were told that like it was healthier for us to assimilate i remember you telling me about that i'm not making it like i we were literally told like assimilation was the word that was used we were told that it was healthier for us to assimilate than to have a space to talk about what we were going through as like multicultural people in a white only space I mean, that makes so much sense to me, though, because that was the only way to survive at the high school that I went to. For listeners who listen to this podcast, but maybe think, why do so many Christian millennials or ex-Christian millennials, why do they talk about colonialism so much? It is because colonialism is this all-encompassing term for conformity. I think that would be the, the most layman way to put it, which is forced conformity ironically Mm. very antithetical to scripture you know do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world and yet that is what is asked so often of people in christian institutions Hmm. you were trying to create a transformative experience and they said no conform yeah yeah and i and i look back on that and i think of all the arguments and ways i would tell them well i would tell them things that we've decided we're not going to say on this podcast Speaking of things you can't say, I learned recently from somebody who, like, they work with a nonprofit that deals with, like, a quick content warning for listeners, I'm going to, sexual assault. They, they told me recently that they tried to do a presentation at this college, and they were informed they were not allowed to use the word rape. (gasps) So how do you protect people? How do you give people the tools when you're not even allowed to use the word that, like it or not, is happening even at Christian colleges? And I would add, especially at Christian colleges. Ooh, okay. That may be another episode in the future. I have so many feelings about that. 
Um, but yeah, it was really challenging. I mean, I, I literally went from a school where like I was hearing three, four languages every single day. You know, everyone was from a different country to, if not multiple countries, to many of my initial friends my first year had never left the Midwest, let alone the country. Um, and that's not anything like negative against those people, except that I do think when you're like, well, we can't hear any other voices or we or not even that, like we can't even allow people who are different to have a space where they feel safe. That's that's problematic. That's very challenging. <laughs> this is a defensiveness I'll even hear from people with decent intentions, which is, well, not all of us can have those experiences. And they're absolutely right. Not everybody can. But that doesn't erase that those experiences are their own perspective. Mm -hmm. It is a unique perspective. And it doesn't erase the validity of lived experience. Just as somebody who has stayed in the same town their own life has a unique lived experience that should not be erased by somebody who's traveled um, or somebody who's moved around, it's vice versa, you know? (laughs) Well, right, exactly. No, I totally, yes, I agree. And, and I, and like that being said, like, I think that guy who said that in his mind had good intentions. He was well, most, citing, most like, people do, is the, right. is the crazy thing. That being said, my first few years in college were very challenging. And at the same time, what I felt like God worked on in me in that period was how to be okay with being what I now call an in-between person. Someone who doesn't fit into a box, and that's okay, and can recognize in others that it's okay if they don't fit into a box. I spent a lot of time praying, like, okay, like, what am I supposed to do? Um, Can you share a little bit for listeners what it means when you say that God told you something? Because when I hear that a lot of times, it's a little bit like testimony where it's kind of a red flag, but you're somebody I trust and you've given your explanation of it. And I think it's very compelling. Hmm. I reflected on this and I actually think this is something I did get from my very Christian family. It's hard to explain, but think about the idea of like there's the verse that talks about like testing the spirits is what the phrase is. And it's like, you know, you hear something in your brain And you're like, is this me? Is this from God? And you try it out with or you tell someone you trust. And as you live it out, you try to like say, like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this causing harm? And over time, I have been able to like, you know, with very small things when I was a child all the way up to now. But I've been able to develop a way of like understanding like this is God's voice. And at the same time, like, I still test things. You know, I think I hear something from God and maybe I share it with someone that I trust. Another person that I trust their faith. Or I share it with someone who's not of faith and see how they respond. I like how active it is. When you told me about it, that's what stuck out to me. Because I usually if somebody says, oh, God told me this, that's kind of like a sign of like, oh, maybe don't trust this person because at some point... They're going to say, God told me this, and that's going to become gospel. And then there's no yeah. reasoning with them. Whereas for you, you're there's a humility to it hmm. that I'm seeing. I mean, I think, yeah, that's how, like, I was taught was that 
you have to be really careful when you say something's from God. Like, there's power yeah. <laughs> with that. There's nothing that, I mean, I was taught there was nothing from that will come from God that will, like, cause someone harm. Like, it's always life-giving if it's from God. And I guess I have, like, kind of a theory, like, whenever I do personality tests, I test, like, off-the-charts intuitive. Um, and so I think for me... I'm kind of one of those people that think like intuition or like knowing things that like we can't really explain with our brain right now is like maybe a part of the brain we don't understand or, you know, I have kind of like my theory around that. But yeah, there is a there is a piece that like I have developed over my life where I, I feel like 70% confident this is of God versus not. And then you have to test it. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, too, because I was thinking about, you know, when you said careful, you should be careful about what you say comes from God. And I was thinking about the sort of um, there's a good word for it, like a kind of a, a conspiracy of thought that exists in all systems. We all agreed upon realities. And it made mm. me think of um, have, you, have you ever seen Into the Woods? Uh, I've read parts of it, but I haven't seen it. I really like the lyrics at the end of the musical. It says, careful the wish you make, wishes are children. Careful the path you take, wishes come true, not free. Careful the spell you cast, not just on children. Sometimes the spell may last, past what you can see, and turn against you. Careful the tale you tell, that is the spell. Children will listen. And I think if that doesn't sum up all religions, not just Christianity, all belief systems, not just religions, Mm -hmm. and the way our words, you know, when you say something comes from God, it's almost like you're saying it squared, you know, (laughs) words already have power. Definitely. And And I do feel very grateful that I was taught that until you asked me about it. I, I didn't really think about that being something specific. I was like, doesn't everyone learn that? Well, and there are Christians who believe God does not speak to you. Um, mm-hmm. Reformed theology believes that God hasn't spoken since the revelation to John at Patmos, which has its own issues and is very much in tied, very much tied to inerrancy doctrine, which also has its own issues. So, yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of that started like just breaking down my own view of like legalism which while i don't think like i don't think holiness doctrine in itself has to be legalistic although you may disagree with me it was for me and how it was lived out how i saw people like talk about it around me was so legalistic even the nazarene church i went to was so inundated with calvinism that my entire experience of legalistic christianity comes from calvinism which is so strange Mm. Because they're the folks who believe that you can't not sin. And yet they, and that's really where I see, I'm going to use the P word, patriarchy coming into play. Because you started to realize men in power couldn't help but sin. Everyone beneath Mm. them better be on their best behavior. Whereas holiness theology was always taught to me as this, this very personal journey. It was basically the idea of like you could be extraordinary in a way that's very personal between you and God. 
And that's mm-hmm. always what I've loved about it. I love the idea of being the best you can be, not to be better than somebody else, but because you only get to live life once. Mm. Or, you know, yeah. or forever, depending on what you believe. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think like all of all of that being said, I've come to a place where I believe there's good and bad in every culture and every belief system. And so we have to wrestle with that. Like, how do we take the good and leave the bad? So after college, I worked for a local newspaper at the time, I had this impression, probably because of, like, the circle that I'd grown up in, that, like, I was entering a very, like, secular, non-Christian space, which actually wasn't true. Like, a lot of the people who worked there went to church um, and or didn't, and it was fine. But I I do remember very distinctly just because, you know, Nazarenes have, are very strong against not drinking, like, drinking or even going into a bar is like on the par of like probably above like certain violent things i mean it's just like crazy to me looking back at it now or like i feel like nazarenes handle drinking the way like non-denominational christian tiktokers handle porn where it's like it's so evil and yet you're almost obsessed with it in its absentia yeah I have to say, like, journalism as a field is known for having alcoholics. So when I started working at this newspaper, I would go have a drink with my coworkers at this bar across the street, and I think I would get, like, Tito's and soda, and I'm sure that it was, like, 90% soda. I'm sitting there and whatever. I can remember this moment when a coworker asked me about my experience in college because they knew that, like, that college didn't allow people to drink and here I am in a bar and I can just be remember being like fine like you can believe in God and have a drink and it opened up this entire conversation about you know like God spirituality religion people's experience and I can I remember having this thought of like the church wants us not to be in these spaces because they're afraid And we're missing opportunities to be in relationship with people who, similar to you, I'm I'm not someone who's super strong about, like, forcing what I believe on other people. But at the same time, I think it's really healthy to have spiritual conversations with anyone you talk about. And, like... Well, there's a difference between forcing it and discussing it. And I love discussing it. And I think that's... Mm -hmm. I think I talk about it more because I don't want to force it. It comes up more because you get to actually hear somebody out. You don't just tell right. them what to think. But I, I, I also kind of have my own theories as to why that why churches sometimes I mean, a lot of churches are totally cool with drinking. But most churches are cool with drinking. Most are. There is something kind of insidious about the way churches will often rob you of normal social outlets. And I think, I do think some churches fear, I don't even think they know they fear this, but I do think the outlawing of alcohol sometimes comes from a fear that the bar will be superior to the small group, is a theory that I have. Or you can do what I do, which is combine them. Well, it's the most obvious thing. Now, I will say, I I think (laughs) one reason the Nazarene Church did do so well in the early days was it was a place for people who were wishing to be sober, which is very valid. 
but yeah, 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 that's that's the history of kind of the larger denomination that you and I grew up in is that it started actually as a very radical space. There were like women in leadership and they were specifically reaching out to people who had addictions. Um, and so a lot of the rules that have carried on to today exist because at the time they wanted to you know they were like no drinking because we have people in recovery in our service and we don't want to put them in those people in a situation where either they feel they can't partake or it's you know temptation that they need to create distance from or whatever which is like an amazing history that like that was never taught to me until I was an adult I think this shows that the way politicization makes everything toxic because having a space where drinking's not permitted, therefore it doesn't have to be an issue, is actually a great idea. The issue comes when you shame other people for doing it, right? And that's working for them. And yeah. I think, yeah, there's not the and it's it's this lack of nuance that I think really obfuscates so much of any kind of altruist, altruism that churches could otherwise be doing. Because yeah. there should be spaces like this for people who, because alcoholism is a very real and terrible thing. Yeah. But not, not everybody has it. Fast forward through, you know, early COVID. I was working at um, the NPR station in Chicago, um, WBZ. I was working insane hours because uh, I was like a digital producer, which means I did social media and that should tell you everything in and of itself. I, I was working a lot with like DEI things with my current job. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to try to hold my workplace accountable to equity and changing and doing a lot of these hard conversations, I need to do that with my church. Well, especially if a church is supposed to be a home in a way, a a social home, a community, that's where your base should be. The standards yeah. should be so much higher in a way. Yeah. So we came out of that period um, feeling like we needed to find a church that fit with our values, which at the time was leadership that was racially and gender and culturally diverse, that affirmed queer people had strong theology and you know to use a christian word discipleship but basically like was meaty had good community couldn't find it and so we started a house church for two years which was just like an incredibly beautiful experience during covid that being said a lot of the process of this throughout this entire story you know i've had a lot of thoughts around the ways that the church isn't perfect. We were we're doing a basement renovation. I found so we pulled all all of these boxes from our storage room, and I found a copy of Every Young Woman's Battle. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I still have this book. It crystallized this idea of let's read Christian books that were just like given out like candy and talk about some of the issues with them and and not just like accept kind of the stuff we've been fed. I like reached out to Samuel and was like, do you want 
to do this. Mary and I hadn't really talked in like almost 10 years. I mean, we not not mm-hmm. because we had like a falling out or anything. It was just like we had graduated. We all went off and did our mm-hmm. own thing. And it was just cool anyways to hear from you because you'd hit me up a little bit earlier that year. Yeah, it was kind of a relationship where it was like once a year we'd be like, hey, are you still alive? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> um, one of those college relationships. But it was really cool when, and I think you were very primed. It definitely is a God thing. I think we can say as two people who believe in God, like I think we both believe that it was like a thing that was created for us to be together and do this project. I fully agree. Well, I had really been, it's funny because I'm, I'm fully inundated in like LA vague magic world now. And I had been, and I'll, I'll use the LA term, which is really as BS as, as testimony or Christianese, but I was putting the intention into the world. Oh my goodness. Actually, what I, uh, when I was younger would always say was like, oh my word. Yeah, oh, my word is, is, the, is your But answer. also, no, I say that because, like, I actually have some friends who've either come from L.A. or, like, did that thing. And yeah, they just, all like, are like, I'm, into the world. yes, the whole, like, manifest thing. I'm not dunking on anyone's belief system. And I actually do, in some sense, believe in, like, positivity. But that's, like, a whole nother can of worms that just I, I roll at. All this is to say, I was very much doing, I was doing what we could call, now if I say manifestation rituals, we're going to lose listeners. I was, I was hardcore hoping for some direction, even just beyond like the novel, like the novel I was writing. And you hit me, it was so interesting because you texted me, have you listened to If Books Could Kill? And mm-hmm. anybody else saying that, I would just be like, no, I haven't. What, you know, kind of been like, all right, another podcast. But when <laughs> you texted me, which, you know, but, uh, look at me now. When you texted me that, I just had this weird feeling in the best way where I thought, here we go. And mm-hmm. I was like, let's hop onto a pot. Let's hop into a, a call. And f- lo and behold, you know, we, we swim in different oceans, but we landed on the exact same shore. Mm -hmm. And here we are. You were asking me, like, what is it to hear the voice of God? I would say that is like that feeling of this is right. This is truth. That's hearing the voice of God. And I think, Samuel, you and I are trying to figure out exactly like the line we want to take of how much kind of the Christian is, like you said, versus like keeping things more secular. So like, well, I know for me, it feels dishonest to go fully Christian and it feels dishonest to go fully secular, quote unquote anymore i I think the concept of secular is so funny because secular only is a christian construct like it doesn't exist outside of christianity so if i was leaning one direction it would be secular but i know where i came from maybe to kind of end our our discussion which has been like wonderful i i was having this thought earlier when you were talking like and and i have i can answer it as well what is a thing that has kept you believing in god throughout your entire experience of life. What has kept me believing is honestly this understanding, it's honestly evolved throughout the years. I think in the past it was very much an emotional thing, which was the, and I think that is the easiest way to describe it is, I really wanted to leave Christianity behind as early as high school, but I couldn't, escape the fact that I felt like there was something I was leaving behind. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's real, but it meant that 
I understood myself well enough to know that that wasn't the time yet. I needed to understand better what it was I was leaving behind, who it was, if there is such a thing. And it's evolved into, as I've left the world of the church, and I've realized that the church, unfortunately, is not the root of all the world's problems. It might just be greed and cruelty, that Mm. the desire to have power over another person. It's this realization that people, the people you meet along the way, everyone's going to tell you how you should see the world. So why not commit to what you want the world to be? And my time with Christianity really gave me a vision for what I wanted the world to be. And it's not a world where everybody goes to church every Sunday and sings. It's a world where people don't have to be afraid of each other. A world where people don't have to feel alone. And a world where anything is possible. I think that ultimately, unity is going to be how we accomplish these goals. We need to build bridges. And ironically, I think that is sort of the central message of Christianity. You know, Jesus says um, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, like he's saying, don't leave anybody out here. I personally do believe it is going to take God's work within humans to make that happen. And I think that can happen outside of the church. And I think it happens inside the church. I also think this is a time in like the American church life that like historians are going to look back on and be like there was a lot of upheaval and I hope we come out better on the other side. I I came to a place where I'm not afraid of criticizing an institution because I think the god behind it can handle it. And if he can't that's that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> I mean just look at the Old Testament all the time God was like dude the religion that you created around me sucks. And, like, I'm going to do something because, like, it is not about me. It's it's crazy that they never made that mistake ever again, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I think humans have issues. Like, anything created by humans will never be perfect. I have faith that, like, we're going to make it through. Mary, should we should we move to a conclusion? I think people have a good idea of who we are now. Maybe, maybe too good of an idea. I was going to say, probably more than they wanted. We would love to know, like, if you're listening, what your story is. Are there things that led you into the way that you think about God or think about the church or, I mean, wherever you're at, we'd love to hear that. Our email, I guess I should say, like, how people can contact us. Our email yeah. is badchristianbooks. Our handles on all socials at Bad Christian Books or Bad Christian Pod, P-O-D. Twitter or X or whatever it is, like, has a character limit and it's very annoying and it messed up our handles. Please let us know. Like, what is your story? How did you come to hear about this? But also, how did you come to believe what you did? And we'd love to hear if you have recommendations on what books we should cover in the future. And yes, do please do reach out to us. Um, because one thing is, we don't really know who our audience is yet. And that's going to yeah, be evolving too. But we, we want to get to know you. But until then, keep an eye out for us as we continue our Christian Bookstore Dumpster Dive. Um, I'm a published author. You can find me on Amazon.com slash author Samuel Culiato. And uh, if you're like, man, I really want to hear even more of this guy's voice, I sometimes guest on I Know Movies and You Don't with Kyle Brule. Mary, do you have anything you want to pl- plug? 
I, I don't have that much to plug, except I'm a producer editor on an upcoming podcast. Season four is upcoming. It's called Change Agents. It looks at solutions to helping people who are returning from incarceration reintegrate into society and heal. Um, it's going to be amazing. Um, so that's called Change Agents. And you can follow the work I do at Hall underscore Mary E. I don't know. I'm a little bit like freewheeling it right now. I'm not as coordinated as Samuel is about what he's doing. Now, if you want to see a bunch of memes, you can follow me on Instagram at FakeSammyC. I'm on threads as well. Um, oh, are you? Yeah, I'm on threads. It's <laughs> it feels like it feels like baby's first Twitter. I was going to say, someone's going to listen to this in two years and be like, what is Threads? Absolutely. There's no way Threads makes it into like, let's say there's no way Threads makes it into the next election. Yeah. Oh, man. We're in a weird time. Well, this has been Bad Christian Books. Thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to continuing the discussion on our next episode. We'll see you then.